listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Code of Career. I'm your host, Cameron Blackwood. Today's guest is Adam McMurchie. I've been a follower of Adam's on LinkedIn for quite a long time now because he is always pushing some really exciting projects and it seems like he's constantly working on a million different things. His insight is also really interesting and I love his perspective on things. He's also a fellow career changer, starting out working on factory floors before going on to take on senior positions working in technology departments of several of the largest financial institutions in the world. Adam's also lived and worked abroad and has even delivered technical talks in other languages such as Mandarin, which I'm sure we can agree is very impressive. Quick bit of housekeeping before we start. If you do enjoy the show, do remember we have launched a Patreon. No pressure at all, but feel free to subscribe to that if you want some really cool bonuses. And if you want to get more involved in the community, also do feel free to join our Discord. The server is growing and growing and we're holding lots of Discord community events, so it's a lot of fun and some really great people on there. Without further ado though... It's time to grab a coffee, push those commits, and enjoy the show. Hi, Adam. How are you doing? Thanks so much for joining me. I'm good. It's a pleasure to be here. Good, good, good. Um, so, so for the audience who aren't familiar with you, haven't come across you perhaps on, I guess LinkedIn is probably one of the biggest channels that you post on. Do you want to give a bit of a background about who you are, what you do, and uh, why you're being basically on the Coder Career today, like uh, what, what you work on? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm predominantly a sort of an engineer uh, that's been working in fintech and finance for past 10 or so years, uh, maybe a bit longer, um, where I've been doing my main stint as uh, sort of head of DevOps, head of data and head of cloud. So I kind of pivot across uh, different platforms, uh, really sort of focused on automation. And so the po- over the past sort of 10 years, I've been focusing heavily on sort of trying to adopt uh, sort of more healthy frameworks um, in, across different environments and um, it sort of worked around the world. So I've worked in China, India, uh, Middle East, America, Europe. And um, because I, 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 a bit of a plug here, but because I speak different languages fluently, I've worked and worked on, you know, hard uh, sort of software pro, uh projects from different angles and different point of views so it's given me like this ability to figure out what's the same and what isn't the same and generally speaking like most of the issues that you'll encounter wherever you go with modern day software dev seems to be the same so it's 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 a i guess it's more of a a testament to how well the uh, it industry has moved on because a plumber is a plumber is a plumber right and so it's now it's become very similar in IT industry, which is, is a good thing. Um, and so that's kind of like my background is um, sort of heavily tech focused, uh, especially in the financial industries. And um, I'm kind of, I have my own channel where I sort of do mentoring and talk about sort of the forefront of, of AI and share projects that I kind of work on and, and collab with. But yeah, that, that's me. Fantastic. So you're one of the few people that's a polygot in both senses of the word in terms of natural languages and <laughs> and programming languages. And yeah, I, well, I think there's definitely a lot of people like me for sure. Like, but maybe from the UK, it's more rare. Um, I think like uh, you know, sort of uh, definitely in the Scandinavian countries, they're more linguistically uh, <laughs> uh, you know um, uh, pro- uh, proficient. But um, for me, it was, there's definitely a connection for sure. I think like I wanted to travel the world at a younger age. And when I got into uh, uh, software engineering in general, like I, I found the same rules applied. So if you learn one language, uh, I think my first was Polish. Once I got fluent in that, I realized that when I picked up the next language, although it was totally different and I had to use a different part of my brain, like the process that I used myself for learning was similar. Like I had, you know, I would take notes, I would uh, use different forums to learn. So not just visual, Mm. but audio, uh, doing it myself. And the same is with coding, right? Like if you're learning uh, Java, um, which is one of the harder ones and more, more traditional, it's not something that you could just pick up over a weekend. And you kind of need to build yourself a learning plan. And I kind of found that's how it worked for me in, in both sets is just following a learning plan. And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
knowing yourself is more important than knowing the actual thing that you're trying to learn. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, and that applies to a lot, uh, a lot in life as well. And uh, the, the way we like to get things, um, you know, get the audience to know you a bit better as well on the Code of Career is some quick fire questions. Uh, sure. So the audience are very well accustomed to what I'm going to ask now, but it's always quite interesting what comes out of it, particularly considering our, our, um, our conversation already. Um, so the first quick fire question was, what was your first ever computer? Uh, a Fujitsu uh, Lumen, I think the name was it's called. Um, so yeah, Fujitsu. That was my first PC, and my first gaming console was a, a Master System, Sega oh, Master nice. System. Any particular games uh, that you were a fan of back in the day? Uh, I must say, Wonder Boy and Sonic. You can't be Sonic. <laughs> Very nice. Um, and what 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 about? I mean, we've already talked about the fact you're well traveled and and a polygot. Um, what's your favorite tech city? Is it close to home in, in Edinburgh, or, or is it or is it elsewhere? My favorite tech city? Did you say? Mm. Oh, good question. Um, I think I've got three. So I would say Edinburgh, London, and um, Shenzhen in China. Uh, Shenzhen is just absolutely amazing. Um, but yeah, those are the three for different reasons. Unfortunately, I can't give one, but if I had to pick one, <laughs> it would probably be London. Yeah, London's awesome. Um, Edinburgh's so good. I mean, um, I've, I've moved back up here after a long time away and I was down in London and London's great. Uh, but Shenzhen, can't say I've been. Um, from what I understand, it's like all, it's a huge manufacturing hub it, it, um, for electronics. Is there a lot of software engineering there as well? Yeah, I mean, it just goes part and parcel, right? Like, how, mm. you know, <laughs> the team that are building stuff, they'll bring the software engineers over. It's a massive software uh, development. It's, it's Silicon Valley. It's, it's China's Silicon Valley. Um, Interesting. It's, it's it's amazing. Uh, were you yeah. were you working there, or was it more just like a working holiday kind of thing? Uh, well, in Shenzhen specifically, I usually do talks and things because again, I talk in Mandarin, so I'll go and do TED talk, uh, sort of tech talks where I share lessons learned and uh, you know go there to to listen to their lessons learned. But um, uh, yeah, no, I've not worked in Shenzhen so far, um, not yet. Oh, fantastic! That's that's awesome. You can do public speaking in Mandarin. That's seriously impressive. It, it, people are more forgiving um so it's stressful and you can you can you can take away your fear right because you know that already you're you know you're, you're stretching out so yeah people are more forgiving for sure nice nice i've got a um i'm doing i mean it will have already happened by the time this podcast comes out but next week i'm doing a live demo of um remix run the new uh the new front end framework and i think right. it's all virtual i'm going to be doing it in english uh, and i'm still very very nervous so i right, admire you right. being able to do it in mandarin <laughs> <laughs> it's sometimes it, it, it's doing uh, i think people multilinguals will say like doing lang uh, presentations in your second language is actually easier because you lose your inhibitions because you lose mm. your sort of uh, restrictions on your way of thinking uh, and generally like people who are proficient in another language usually find they have a different way of thinking as well um, like I think differently in, in Mandarin than I do in English and so um, and you have to get really good at explaining hard stuff simply because you know you take so long to learn the language and you you, you want to learn it to share your favorite stuff you care about that you're passionate about and you're not going to wait until oh one day I'm fluent so you know when you're halfway there you're figuring out ways to say complicated ideas and simple so, uh, simple processes and simple um what's the word like uh presentation and so that generally makes people more receptive as well because you you learn to be a better communicator fantastic that's uh that's awesome and uh so when when you're not speaking and when you're when you're coding um what type of music do you like to listen to what what, what powers you <laughs> this is going to be quite embarrassing right so i actually listen to video game music right i know you're not the like first to to you're not the first to say it, so it's not embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> like people like oh i listen to chill out or i listen to lo-fi or i listen it's like no i like to listen to uh, any square music square soft music because mm. it's just it's there's just so much good quality content out there i mean just listen to any of the final fantasy albums and it's like yeah yeah that get that it's it's enough to because there's no vocals so i'm not getting distracted by words you know yeah, I've heard a lot about um, people who will do it to movie soundtracks as well. Uh, I, I've oh. mentioned it endlessly on here, but Mr. Robot soundtrack is one of my go-tos if I'm having a difficult day and I just want to plug in. Um, right. Like just listening to Mr. Robot soundtrack is, yeah, it's a pretty good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've not actually, I've only, I've watched the show, but I can't remember, I can't remember the music, but I'm, I assume oh, it's, it must it's be amazing. Quite... 
It's really right. good. Yeah, if hacking had a soundtrack, it would be the Mr. Robot. Uh, ah, of course, of course. <laughs> I mean, you can just you can just chuck in YouTube, right? Like hacking music, and oh, then yeah. it's like it's all it's all of a genre, right? Um, so like you think you're Neo or whatever, uh, from the Matrix. But, yeah, um, yeah. As long as it's not it's, um, what do the kids call it? Nightcore. Do you know? Do you know? Where it's like, oh, <laughs> awful. So, <laughs> yeah. I have yeah. I have I have occasionally listened to like happy hardcore when I'm on like a, a code and flit. So if I need to get a product out by like a Friday and I need to go really, really fast and I know that I'm not gonna do it unless I pull some deep reserves out of me. <laughs> so then I'll like switch on some because like at that point you're no longer caring about code quality, right? You're just like, get out of the door. And so listen to the most motivating music possible. And like, so like, like Scooter and that kind of thing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you ready? There's, there's a guy at my gym that constantly puts on Scooter. And <laughs> so I've just learned to like embrace it at this point. <laughs> oh, you can't, you can't be Scooter. But I was thinking more along like the Japanese, you know, J- mm-hmm. Japan core or Happy Hardcore, which is like more faster. Like the scooter's quite slow, yeah. But um, you want something with a faster tempo, especially if you're like uh, using Python, because you're you're using the like the enter button a lot, yeah. <laughs> and so you, you know you're just like tap 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 next line next line next line. So uh, yeah, it's quite it's quite um, useful, but not not my go to, shall we say? Fair enough. And what what about when you like to do your work? Would you say you're an early bird or night owl? Uh, a night owl, but I'm transitioning to an early bird. Mm. So I'm predominantly a night owl, but it's affected my health um, because I don't know when to stop. And um, I've I've spilled some of my best products in, you know, up to like four, three, three, four in the morning. And, you know, the new the, the new normal, it certainly allows people to become night owls. But in, you know, as you sort of hit your 30s, 40s, right, like health issues pop up and you begin to realize that oh i actually need to take care of my body now so um yeah it's like i need i need to figure out how to transition and i, I and i find now i'm transitioning to being an early bird i find i'm more productive as long as i get a proper early start like because when i wake up I've, I've i've got i think it's all to do with energy reserve management um mm. i appreciate this is a short form one sorry apologies this is a quick fire question but i think it's to do with energy management and so yeah yeah, definitely. I, I'm transitioning to the early bird thing as well. It's a, it's a bit, um, it can be a tricky one, but a little hack I find, uh, particularly as we're getting into the summer now, is uh, sleeping with the curtains open. It's quite a good way of doing it because then you naturally wake up wow. in the daylight. Uh, wow, that's a good idea. But yeah, uh, it's, um, yeah, it can be, it can be a tough one, um, especially if like going to sleep with the curtains open. If you live, I live in fairly central Edinburgh. I live in Morningside. So there's like street lights <laughs> yeah. and stuff. So that, yeah. that, that yeah. sometimes scuppers things a little bit, but um, yeah, it's quite a good strategy I find. Um, so, yeah. so prior to the, uh, prior to the days of code, um, what job did you want when you were a kid? Uh, engineer. So my dad was an engineer. Uh, my granddad was an engineer on the Spitfire. And my great granddad was an engineer on the sister ship of the Titanic. So he actually was invited to get on the Titanic on the maiden voyage because he was working on the Olympic as a sister ship. And he got the invitation. And just as he was about to, I know it's a romanticized story, but you know, maybe my family are like exaggerators. But the story is that just before he was getting on to the Titanic, the telegram boy ran, gave him a telegram saying, uh, his holiday's been cancelled and he needs to get back on the Olympic because there's a, uh, there's a production bug to be fixed. <laughs> so um, yeah, he he missed he missed the ship and then here I am today. So Serendipitous. families are, all, yeah yeah. Family families all engineers, so I want to be an engineer. Uh, Very nice. That's uh, cool. Do any particular type of engineer like automotive, uh, aeronautical? At the time, mechanical was the most interesting to me. Um, yeah electrical engineering was also interesting but i mm. i hadn't known that software engineering was a thing um and and so i kind of like part of my heart feels like i failed like my family because i'm not actually an engineer <laughs> like like you know software engineering we just call ourselves that because it sounds cool but um uh, my my my, my uh, uh, so people in my family my friends assure me there is a degree of engineering to it so i'll i'll take that yeah, we, we haven't a title. Like my dad's a satellite engineer um, by trade, so 
Uh, right. Like I'm, uh, he was building products that like launching stuff into space, and I'm, I'm building, <laughs> I'm building create, read, update, delete applications in JavaScript. <laughs> but we're both yeah, engineers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're like figuring out how to change the color of a button, right? And he's, uh, yeah, he, he's like literally like launching stuff that keeps the company safe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, uh, I, I know he listens. So, uh, so hi, Dad. Yeah, uh, I wish I could build satellites as well. Um, <laughs> Anyways, uh, so um, moving on um, to uh, more more about your story. Obviously, we talked. You were always interested in engineering in general, but how did sure. your journey into becoming um, a software engineer start? What what was that process? It's a bit bananas to be honest, because like uh, I come from a really poor family, like like hyper poor. It's why I learned a lot of languages and travelled a lot because of like just disenfranchisement of the system. And so, like, right in the beginning, I was, like, doing everything. I was, like, a bricklayer. I worked in a chicken factory, like, hanging chickens for, like, four years. Um, I thought I would never get out of that. I thought that was it. That was my life. And I was just going to be – and I was, like, super low, like, a minimum wage, night shift, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 6 p.m. to half two in the morning. And then I finally, uh, you know, moved a little bit on. I went into insurance and then – I actually found like I left the factory and went into an office space and was so scared by the office space I went back to the factory again because <laughs> I was like holy moly like these people really stab each other in the back oh, yeah. and so, <laughs> so so I was like yeah and so um, eventually uh, I did a bit of re- I got into renewable energy um, and that kind of like spurred my passion for like ideas of fundamentals and I took on a physics course so I I had by that time I'd made up enough money that I could support myself to go to uni and so I picked physics because I just thought you know go for the fundamentals Mm. and by the time I'd finished the course I'd had some exposure to uh, C++ and back then physicists uh, you, you know it was there wasn't out the box tools that could help you to do stuff like if you wanted to calculate relative motion of the planets um, you had to use either a really uh, bulky old physics software tool, like um, you know, the back in those days, MathCAD were, were rubbish, or you'd have to write it all out in C, uh, C plus plus, or a language of your choice yourself. So I had to do all of that, and my f- my first, uh, let's say the the first round with with coding was uh, was a failure for me. I, I I was totally against it. I was like, this this sucks. <laughs> I was like, it's like who would want to do this for their whole life? And it turns out, oh, that's me. So um, yeah, it, it, the first round, I didn't, I wasn't so impre- impressed. But like and that's later on, the case, isn't it? Like people yeah. give it a try the first time. The amount of people that come to me on like TikTok and like, do you know what, Cam? I tried this the first time round. And I didn't like it, but I, I'm thinking about giving it another go. And it's just like, just do it. Like the amount of times you don't yeah. enjoy coding the first time. I think I tried to learn like two or three times before it actually stuck. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely, an, it's almost like an acquired taste, right? And I think um, the problem was in the first time, the, the big, it's the same with everything. Like, like the, the, uh, the learning curve is so steep and the rewards are so few. And it's hard to see what you're going to get by investing hours and hours so what had happened was after that like i had ended up um i went and worked in china and then at that time i was getting exposure to a lot of business and i thought right okay maybe it's time to give it another go and so i joined a harvard cs50 so for any of those new coders out there uh, you probably have heard of it it's an amazing um, resource and- uh, yeah, and at the time I was like one of the, the earlier ones, and so it was like it was like actually a big thing. It's like, oh my god, this is Harvard, you know? Like, <laughs> it was like what? And and so there was a there was a, a degree of prestige of like just being able to access the resources because before mm. then it was all, you know, the opening of the internet, and um, you know they, they they've done such a great job. Uh, you know, D- David um, uh, Malin, I think his name is. is yeah. He's just. I met him in person and he's oh, like, did you? Double, What's yeah, he like? He's, he's, he's such an impressive guy. He's double my height because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a small guy and he's a big guy. And uh, yeah, I talked to him and he's very charismatic, very friendly. Very, and, and the whole, because they did a, they did a CS50 in London and that really, really uh, propelled me into IT. So to be honest, big thanks to CS50 because they, they were so broad like there was at that time they were like okay here's a bit of cloud here's a bit of back end here's a bit of front end uh here's how you can make a game right and so like they gave a little bit of something for everyone and at the time i was already getting back into coding but that 
super helped. So for anybody who feels, I guess, like demotivated, uh, do like the first couple of uh, uh, videos on CS50, like do those courses and it kind of really helps. Yeah, definitely. He's got a really good way of explaining complicated topics. Uh, And you will find like that C module is tough. But yeah. it's kind of, it's, it's like just jumping into deep end of the pool and the resources behind it are really good. And once you're done with the C, everything else just seems easier. Um, yep. So it's quite cleverly done the way they do that. And, um, you know, people have been, uh, it's, it's really interesting to say this because um, an episode that will we'll, we'll be out by now uh, on Coded Career, um, uh, Simon Barker, who runs all the code, he learned um, when it was still on, a, on an FTP um like all the all the resources and everything um for cs50 and um you know he was saying it's just be he was getting it via itunes u and everything and uh that was like getting on 20 years ago now so it's pretty impressive like how many lives that um one course managed to change and the fact that you get to stick harvard on your linkedin um which has led to quite a lot of disappointed recruiters reaching out to me (laughs) yeah Yeah, and also like david matlin himself if i remember correctly he wasn't an it guy either like there are some people that get in way later in their careers and Mm. do fine like some of them dominate um so so it's like it's not that's what makes it so much uh better than your traditional careers because the you know like the educate like as we see google and uh facebook they've st- dropped all of their educational requirements for for it engineers um you know whereas i like people like my age and older remember like getting into certain jobs even like a java engineer um back in the day which was bread and butter you needed a degree like you needed a proper degree and the the the, the university that you got it from made a difference on your mm-hmm. application like it's like now you know I think Elon Musk really set the scene, right? Like he was the first to say, I do not care what uni you're from. And literally like it, it, it you know, it like really disgruntled him when people were, were, I remember his employees were coming up doing talks and saying like, oh, I got this PhD. And Elon was like, no, move on, next, next, <laughs> next. We don't care what your background is. Just tell us the subject matter. And then I think the rest of Silicon Valley followed suit. Yeah. And I think that's the situation we're in today. So like you can just pick it up anytime, like literally any age, anytime, anywhere. And quite quite rightly as well, because it's one of the best uh the tech industry I genuinely think is one of the best way uh is one of the, it, it's I it's difficult to achieve true meritocracy, but I believe tech is one of the most meritocratic <clears throat> industries and it's it's you know, in the long run, if if more people approach hiring like tech do like with the dropping and i've noticed outside of tech like a lot of like the big four accountancies and stuff have started dropping degree requirements and stuff um you know the more you're going to have an equal society and actually the university uh system is somewhat flawed and i'd almost describe it as like a legacy system and i think by the time i have children i'd wonder if a conventional university would even exist anymore when they're ready to go um because i guess assuming i don't have a kid next year um i guess this, that would be in you know 25 years time i'd be i'd be very curious to see what a university would look like by then because fees are going tuition is going up and the yep. product is going down that's the thing yep. so it's an interesting uh, trend we're looking at and the resources like half of the resources if not more are readily available online so what you're really paying for is mentorship um and experience transfer from those who are are strong in the industry so they're 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 you know exactly as you say there could be platforms to disrupt that or break it down um yeah i, I can totally see that and uh at least in it at least there is a you've got a shot at a meritocracy it may not be the case but at least there's you know there's a chance yeah absolutely and um presented with that comment because this is not a political podcast uh, my student loan um interest rate has just been bumped up to 12 percent. so presented with that comment if you're thinking about going to university <laughs> keep that in mind uh moving swiftly on <laughs> um you're someone that has worked in uh devops a lot um and one of the most common questions i get is cam i've seen this really highly paid sector within engineering devops what is it how can i get into it so I figured I'd pass the baton on to someone who really has been there because my, my focus is more on like front end development and that sort of thing. How, what is DevOps and why and how can people get into it? Okay. So that's, it's a loaded question, right? And it's like, um, the, the, it, there's many different people who will answer this in different ways. And 
um, the, you know, like the de facto safe way to answer uh, the question, like, and I'll give you a few different flavors of the mm -hmm. answer, right? So the de facto safe way is to say DevOps is not a technology, it's a culture, right? And this is what a lot of people who uh, buy, buy what they're selling, right? Buy their own thing that they're selling will say things like that. And to, to some extent, there's definitely truth in that, right? Because there's so much cultural framework embedded within DevOps idea of infrastructure as code, working to agile principles that definitely there. But you know, that's the optimistic sell you the product route, right? The other, you know, the, there's other interpretations. You know, some will say um, DevOps is a stopgap because developers and, and operations can't play nicely together, right? And then that's why you've got MLOps because ML engineers and DevOps engineers can't play nicely together. And now DevSecOps as well. DevSecOps. Yeah, so so like, for example, the MLOps is because there's an argument over productionized data um, between data scientists and, and, and automation engineers. And so this will keep happening, right? And there's like, you know, uh, I think there's like, blockchain ops or blockchain as a service and um, there's BizOps and th this is a, a theme that could spin off and spiral but ultimately what's happened is nothing has come close to matching DevOps so there must be some truth to that so there must be some utility to DevOps because why would it retain uh, all, you know, a decade plus because it was uh, pushed in 2008. But to be clear, like I'm friends with one of the, the founders of uh, Patrick DeBoer who, uh, you know, you'll probably see him comment on my LinkedIn a lot. And, you know, we talk about this topic quite a lot. And I think he's moved on a little bit in his mind from, you know, when he, if you Google who created DevOps, his name comes up in bold um, as the first one. It's not even the first search. It just flashes up as the, as yeah. they're like, yeah, a, a label, but um, you know, and he has kind of moved on, and his idea is different from my idea, which is different from um, some of you know Kim's idea, who is one of the other founders, and so it's it's it leads it leads to a problem. So this is the more cynical interpretation, which is the reason the salary is so hyperinflated is because a lot of people don't know what it means. But then the positive spin on that is that, yeah, it means that you need a really strong engineer that can be across, that can span multiple domains. And so that's actually when people hire from a, for a DevOps engineer, there are a lot of recruiters or a lot of hiring managers in their mind, what they're looking for is a strong automation engineer who is good at cloud, is good at backend, knows a bit of front end, can get by on a bit of front end. And mm. it's almost like, it's the it's the expansion of a full stack engineer, uh, a full stack developer, um, and yeah, the, and the, so the Swiss Army developer almost. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's like it's as close as you can get. I mean, because some will argue that DevOps engineers don't write code, but then for everyone that you find at scripts, you'll find another that's writing Python code. So yeah. it's 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 tricky. It's so, so I, I know that's not the answer people were looking for, and. Uh, and, and, you know, because I, again, you can find a DevOps engineer who will just give you an answer as quick as a hat. They'll say, oh, it's orchestration or it's automation. It's pipeline building. It's a culture, you know, yeah. and, and ultimately it could be all of those things. And so really, if I had to summarize it in one sentence, I would say a DevOps engineer is a uh, automation engineer with a very fuzzy defined boundary. Mm -hmm. So, so you, your, your job is to automate and orchestrate, but how far out of that your step depends on your ability and the expectation of the company and the expectation of the company is usually quite high. Yeah. <laughs> so that usually means you need to learn a lot. Yeah. I mean, on a related basis, um, <clears throat> people see those high salaries and they, and they ask me about it a lot. And I generally say my kind of cookie cutter advice for this is get a job as a conventional software engineer first and then learn the DevOps pra um, practices on the job. Um, and then kind of when you're ready for it, go into DevOps. Like, um, I don't know how you feel about that, but like for me, for me, it's like, I think there's a lot more junior software engineering jobs than there are junior DevOps jobs out there. Maybe yep. that's changing a bit, but I would say if people really want to get into it, get a backend job probably. Um, and then, mm -hmm. and then basically almost become a, become a DevOps engineer within a job yourself or pick up the skills you need doing that and then move into a DevOps role. 
So there's definitely a strong argument for that, right? Because the reason DevOps was created was to fill the void between developers and operations and to help them coordinate stronger and move move products between the two of them. Um, and obviously the world has got far more complex since then, right? So you've got web development, backend, database engineers, data engineers, data lake. And so uh, maybe I would maybe just uh, alter slightly your uh, um, point and say something like, uh, pick up something that you like, right? So if you want to build a, you know, if you want to, if you're a front end guy or girl, or if you're into database uh, design and database schemas or whatever, like do something that you like and do that for a while, because then you'll get more of a, because DevOps, you have to know the full software life cycle, um, software delivery life cycle. So you need to have at least worked. It's almost like, um, let's put this a different way. Um, I worked in the chicken factory, right? And mm-hmm. um, in a chicken factory, you know, at the, right at the beginning, <laughs> I was quite brutal, but you, you, you know, you, uh, shall we say, um, uh, take care of the chickens and, and, and oh. you know, put them, put them to bed, right? <laughs> I think and I then, get the euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then later on, you, you hang them and uh, you, there's a lot, there'll be packing, there will be scanning, there will be... Maybe the vegetarians skip two minutes now. Yeah. Oh, apology, apology. Yeah, and feel free to edit this. But, <laughs> but if you take any factory analogy, which is becoming more and more popular in software development, there are many points on the factory line that you can take, right? So there, there, you know, you, you could be packed in, in any factory, you could be packing, dispatching, labeling, um, you could be, you know, uh, weighing. And what happens is the people who rise to the top are the one like the ones who are the supervisors or the charge hands or the ones who are the managers, they did their rounds, right? So they, you know, they maybe started their career, you know, at the start of the line at the, on the conveyor belt. Mm. And then later on, you know, they worked up and they were able to do a bit of the programming because, you know, there's even programmers and in factories and then maybe they did like later dispatch in the after shift and so then they became so competent and they knew they knew how the cycle went they knew the you know n- not the software delivery life cycle but the product delivery life cycle of the factory and then they moved into automating because they because they cared about the company and they knew how to do it properly because they'd been there like they knew the challenges the developers have they know the challenges that the operations have and that's a better position that's obviously the optimal position but usually what happens is you know somebody will do development for a while or they'll do sysadmin for a while and then they'll jump into devops and that's fine mm. so i would just say just to um you know um take your point and just expand it to say you know work on the line work on the production line at some point get a bit of experience and then if you feel you you're really into automating maybe give devops a go yeah definitely that that sounds really great and the exact kind of thing i'd like to clip out and uh, and show people when when they ask me about that so um, awesome it, there's actually time for for a new feature now so you are the first guest and unfortunately a bit of a guinea pig here on this <laughs> one so hopefully listeners this will be all super clear um but what i'm going to do is uh, i have a discord community and if the listeners are uh, want to discuss uh, tech with like-minded individuals and want to advance their career then i definitely recommend uh, they jump in and chat with us there's well over 100 of us on there now chatting and um we are now voting for our favorite question from the community for the podcast guest. Um, so a few days ago, I, I said, um, "This is Adam. He's going to come on the. Uh, he's going to come on the podcast." I shared your LinkedIn. I hope you don't mind that. And no, no, that's had fine. A poke around and, and saw what you were all about, and um, the community decided that uh, Jordan's question was their favorite. And uh, Anchor, um, my uh, distribution software, allows you to leave voice messages, which is really cool. Um, so Jordan has left a voice message for us. Hi Cam, question for Adam. Uh, as someone who's just starting out, how much knowledge or what level of knowledge of security would you say is needed for applying to my first roles as a junior developer? And what resources would you suggest going to as a beginner? Oh, that's a good one. So um, there's a, let's try to start from the back. So I've got lots of resources and I'll share them after. So I've got my own Adam's, I forget what did I call it, the security, the security compendium. So um, check my resource out because I made it. Um, other than that, I think there are some really, it's really hard because the to answer the question, like you, you want to get into web development and there are lots of security practices and frameworks that you need to be aware of and you need to understand about the communication between, uh, you know, back end, front end, web server and things. And 
what really I'm trying to say is the area of security is so wide and so vast. It, it will, we're all learning about security. Nobody's done. The, you know, I was the, uh, uh, working in the global chief security office in Barclays, um, working on security products, uh, and you know, some of the best engineers out there, like some of the best engineers in the world were there, cyber analysts. And we're all, you know, constantly learning new things. Part of having, part of working in security is having that flexible learn everyday mindset. I mean, how are you going to adapt to day zero threats? So for those who don't know what day zero is, is it means it's a new vulnerability or a threat that's never been uh, come across before. So in web development, like the answer is to be, to be brutally honest, you don't need to know security to begin with because you're doing web development and you'll learn it as you go. Um, you'll learn how to, you know, certificates, encryption and things, but it can't hurt. And what what you'll find in the modern security community is they're trying to push a different culture of security isn't just for the security guys, but it's for everyone. And it should become part of what you do, right? Like when you leave your house, right? You you check your keys, you make sure the door's locked. Is, is your alarm on if you've got an alarm or the window's closed? There are things that you just do. And that's going to happen with uh, IT. And those things you'll learn on the job and you'll learn as part of the, the practices that you, you, you do. Um, so there's no, like, there's no specific things, but if I had to point out a few, I would say things like, right, you're getting into coding, you're going to be a web developer, you're going to be putting lots of stuff on GitHub or, or get or stash. So um, any private, any personal credentials, keep them off, get into the practice of separating your repo into two repos, the, the main one, where you do all the stuff and then you can have like a secondary folder where you keep your keys and just point to it. Um, so there are, there are like things that will trip you up really early on. Like again, AWS accounts, if you're learning cloud, uh, GCP accounts, it, it it's so, you know, there's so many people that, uh, make bad policies and then find out that people have used their account to mine crypto. And this happens to senior engineers, right? So I literally have had senior engineers call me up in the night saying like, I've got a, I've got a five grand bill on my AWS account. Uh, how can I back this out? And I'm like, dude, you can't. Yeah, <laughs> like that's it. You, 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 you need to call them. Fortunately, they, back, they did back it out for them after a long discussion, but they're not always going to be that forgiven. So really like you can't take your common sense like like rely on your instincts as much as you can to begin with like if it feels unsafe it's probably unsafe yeah that's just such a good motto for like internet usage in general and like if it feels unsafe it's probably unsafe if it feels too good to be true it's probably too good to be true which yep. is what i wish i told myself when i was 12 <laughs> and i thought you could download more ram um yeah <laughs> um but but yeah i i totally i totally agree and um, wait you can't no, you can't, I'm afraid. Yeah, they're lying to you, I'm afraid. Um, oh, no. And you are not, in fact, the millionth visitor uh, to this website. Uh, <laughs> um, the other thing I was going to say as well, uh, kind of related to Jordan's point, um, the if people are curious and they have no knowledge of IT security, um, I'm probably doing the wrong thing by directing people literally to another podcast right now. But Darknet Diaries is probably arguably my favorite non-rugby related podcast that i listen to on a regular basis it is amazing um and i i the production value is incredible and the stories are so cool i don't know if you've checked it out before but it's, it's unreal yeah i i've not checked it out but another thing i'd mention is is i've got this uh site called dark choir which i've automated all social media insights and one mm. of the things that i found yeah so it's like it's uh it's part of my website and it's like four or five pages which i pull twitter reddit uh like feeds from all of our social platforms and one thing that i found is it's like people find out about uh attacks way before the the news right oh yeah so for like sure. so like a really good thing to do is like just follow security people on twitter right because there's loads of them and you want to follow the ones that use more positive wording and the reason is, is because they're more likely to share learning resources so you'll find the cynics and there are loads of them right but you want to look for these ones that are uh sharing you know positive uh learning resources and they're everywhere so go to twitter and type in infosec hashtag infosec or hashtag vulnerabilities hashtag 
cybersecurity and look at the posters and you'll find the ones that are usually ranked at the top, they're generally sharing good content. Mm. Yeah, and it, it's something that's just so topical as well. And even if you aren't going to be a security engineer, and I, I, lo- I love that Jordan has asked this question, despite the fact he wants to be a web developer, because it's just so good to have a knowledge of these things. Yeah. And it's such a plus yeah. uh, for an employer because everyone's vulnerable to it. I mean, it literally, it's just come out today that uh, 10 Downing Street was breached um, with uh, by, by hackers from the, from the Gulf. So, you know, it, yeah. it's, it affects everyone and uh, it's really a good idea to read up on it. No matter, I mean, if you've got 40 minutes into this podcast and you don't know anything about software engineering, fair play. Um, but even if you're not a software engineer or even interested in it, then it, it would behoove everyone to learn a bit about IT security for sure. Yeah, it's just so it's just so so widespread. I mean, again, just take another example of the six hundred and fifty million that had been uh, mined and stolen from uh, North Korea, right? And the government are being really like tightly lipped on it, but it's almost a cert that it was fishing. So it wasn't even it wasn't like a technical exploit through like a firewall or something. Just somebody replied to an email. Human right? error so it's is like... always the weakest cog in the machine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, the, I, I, yeah. Social engineering uh, is one of the, mm. the the most most successful vectors. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Trust nobody, kids. Trust nobody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, moving, well, I guess kind of related to security. In fact, actually, completely related to security because the financial industry probably has some of the strongest security there is, or at least one would hope so. Um, what's the financial industry like? Because you've worked for uh, a number of the big banks. Um, here in because uh, Edinburgh obviously has a huge financial scene that a lot of people don't realize about um what would you say like to give someone some advice who, who's curious about getting in uh, getting into the scene what what should they know yeah I mean and also I've been in London as well so I've done mm-hmm. work you know across Edinburgh and London the the, the the finance sectors in the UK and they're they're the same right they, they all work together right so Manchester yep. London Edinburgh um you know the, the employees will work between the different units but they'll be working on the same goal and uh finance sector is really exciting to get into because you're not just learning to do tech you're learning about like the 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 backbone of society which is our economy and so um and you'll find right it's quite funny because you'll find like a a lot of people in banks want to work in fintechs they're Mm. like i i want to work in a revolut and then you'll find people in fintechs want to work in banks right and so there's a there's a there's a lovely migrational flow between the two so really like to get into them like obviously having a passion or an interest at least like a passing interest in finance you know like understanding why 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 are we why do we employ so many people like what what is what are we doing like even if you don't know that that's fine just like think of that question have that question in your mind and google and explore um so there's an element of like just be a little even a little bit interested in like why do they need so many engineers what what is so important about finance and it and what you know why is finance and it so tightly knit that's the first thing um the next thing is is um there's a bit there's an element of maturity um i know this is sounds it's quite bizarre coming from me, a guy that sort of posts like anime memes and stuff, but like, <laughs> but like there is definitely an element of maturity in finance where it's like you, how you present yourself and how, so if I, for example, if I've, I've worked in small startups and worked with small companies and middle companies and big companies and some of the IT engineers will have a very loose uh, interpretation of uh, work ethic or a loose interpretation of um, how they should interact and collaborate with others, right? Like you'll get lots of lone wolves in fintech startups because they don't, they can't take the pressure of people pushing on to them. So they just do their own thing and they're, you know, they're very siloed. In finance, it's the complete opposite. It's a very social space. Right? Mm. It's, it's there, of course, there are lone wolves, like, but they're few, right? The, the vast majority in finance are social beings and we we have to share, we have to collaborate. There's a lot of talking. Um, and, and that's not just because we like to talk, but because we're working on really hard systems that take more than one person to understand because they're complicated. You, know, you have a data architect, a, 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 a environments, infrastructure, backend, business you know we're not even talking about then you've got different business representatives and you have all in a sense it's a bit like being at the un because you have so many different people representing so many different 
arms of the company, which each each arm in its own is you know is is a fully fleshed uh, uh, trade that has companies specifically dedicated to them. So you're working in an ecosystem that basically couldn't be bigger, and so you need to have this element of maturity because you cannot assume that you know more than one percent of what people know in the room because there are just so many different opinions and so many different um like there are so many different stakeholders with different objectives in mind Mm. and your job is to present what your thing is in a holistic way and so um that doesn't mean you don't have to hit these thresholds to get into finance but you have to be mature like you have to be open to self-development um not just from a technical point of view but from a personal point of view and a people point of view um and yeah and if you're if you're open and if you're mature and if you're like got a, a, an interest in collaborating and sharing uh taking the burden off other people then you, you're going to do really well yeah that sounds uh sounds really cool and uh, a ringing endorsement as well for an industry that gets a bit of stick unfairly i think actually uh, in terms of like a place yeah. to work i think um, a lot of people I know really enjoy working in financial institutions. And, um, you know, I think I think the image of them is somewhat outdated in terms of like how they are to work. So that sounds really cool. And um, haters going to hate. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Talk, talking closer to home now, um, I'm really curious to because uh, you're part of the growing contingent um, of guests on here who are living in the central belt of Scotland. Um, what what do you see as the future of uh, the tech scene um, up here, and uh, how can we how can we improve upon it? Is there any any sign uh, any anything that you've really got your eye on? Yeah. So what we're finding, um, what I'm finding in general, is uh, Scotland specifically are developing specialist areas. So for example, mm-hmm. in Dundee, we all know that, uh, or maybe we should know, Dundee had been a home for gaming, and a lot of uh, strong gaming engineers. Uh, a game development had come out of there and Edinburgh's obviously in the financial sector and Glasgow seems to be hard hitting um, in, in a many different fronts um, but they, they I think they're more in the creatives as well so like you know there's a lot of movies that are shot in Glasgow and edited on, on editing software there and so what we're finding is it's like Scotland is acting as a mini hub of specialist cities and specialist towns for, for certain domains and what that means is um, you're going to attract a lot of diverse talent. Um, and if you, if you imagine with the COVID breaking down barriers, for, so not everybody needs to, to commute to London now. And there's an outflow of people who live in London and are originally from Scotland or have, you know, I've spoken to multiple in the cyber world. That's a good example. I've spoken to multiple cyber guys who have no affiliation with Scotland whatsoever. Um, you know, one of the guys talking to from yesterday, he was from Nigeria. He's like, yeah, we're just moving to Scotland. And he said, it's absolutely, he loves it. He said, every time I'm here, he says, it's the perfect balance for lifestyle that he wants. And so what you actually find is Scotland is attracting high caliber, specialized talent. So that means we might not all get on with each other, right? So we might have like different, because uh, like if I'm, you know, if what guy A is a game engineer and guy B is working on medical software imaging, they're very different domains, but they're hyper-specialized. And so what I would say is maybe a challenge and an opportunity is somehow figuring out how to herd these cats, right? Because there's, there's just so many, like, like it's, I don't think the future of Scotland is being this is the hub for medical tech and this is the hub for finance is going to spin and for much longer, especially with COVID. So I think we need to look into more general, like as a software hub in general, like and and, and have more open workspaces, which we we begin to have in Edinburgh. You know where you've got. Um, like code base uh, and stuff code base that's the one exact yeah. thing i was thinking of so i think that could be the future and it seems to work quite nicely um so a more abstract general place for specialists to come mm. um, and move and pivot um but yeah there's and scotland's heavily socializing um is one of the most progressive countries in europe by mm-hmm. far in the world as well especially in renewable technologies and and new initiatives. So I think like the opportunity here, it's like 
people might think, well, I want to start a business, so I'm going to go to Silicon Valley, or I'm going to go to Shenzhen, or I'm going to go to London. You know, I need to accrue capital. That's where all the, the VCs are. But if you actually think properly, like the talent pool, like per capita and, and um, the, the available space, cheapness of facilities, you've got a really strong case of doing things in Scotland, like of at least creating breeder hubs. So I think, yeah, I think I think there's huge opportunity because it's just so much dynamism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a small country, right? So it's like you could get an idea from the north to the south really quickly. That's <laughs> basically yeah. right. Like, like pe- people can, people can propagate ideas pretty quickly. Yeah, get the idea from John O'Groats down to Barrack upon Tweed <laughs> very quickly. That's the Actually, one. <laughs> Barrack upon Tweed is just south of the border, so maybe <laughs> I don't know. Stop in Hoyk or Melrose or somewhere. I, yeah. I don't know what the southernmost yeah. town is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but you get the idea. Yeah, um, yeah. I th- I think I think that's it. Like. I know it sounds like I'm trying to sell the place. Obviously, Scotland, Scotland. Oh, mate, I, I sell it every week on here. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, don't expect the weather, right? And definitely don't expect, like, healthy cuisine. But if you can <laughs> if you can forgive those two, then you, you'll love it. Cool, yeah. So, um, it's been, been really great and insightful chatting with you, Adam. Obviously, you're, as anyone who has connected with you on LinkedIn would know, you are a very busy man, constantly with a lot of projects and irons in the fire. Um, what are you working on at the moment? Is there anything you particularly want to shout out? Yes, um, sure. So, like, I think I've got two projects in the go, but the main one I want to sort of talk about is this. Uh, so, I've been working on this sort of dataless architecture. So, if you think of like a Siri or an Alexa or a Cortana, so like an AI assistant, which can do more than what they can do, but also the core feature I'm trying to get out is that it does all of the training locally on the on your side. And so it keeps all of the data on your side of the machine. So if you ask like, you know, get me my emails or, you know, connect to my bank account, it will only make the bare minimum of external connections with, with data and and when it does, you'll be alerted so that the AI is more sensitive towards keeping things on your end. And it trains to your specific taste. So not just its personality, but the way that it works with you. So it is a coding assistant as well. So it's like GitHub autopilot on steroids. And it's not, I'm not sure if I'm going to sell it or open source it, but mm-hmm. like it's become a project that I've been working on for five or six years. And this is just the first part of it but i think it will be useful to a lot of people especially for those who need like a like a real productivity assistant so look out for that its name's amu amu and you probably see a lot of that on my linkedin and twitter and stuff but um i'll continue to share it but um i think hopefully get an alpha out at the end of the year that sounds really exciting i can't wait to see that and uh you, you mentioned your linkedin there is that the best way for people to get in touch with you any other platforms to follow you on yeah, I think mostly LinkedIn because I'm a, too much of a geek, right? So because like I'm mostly on GitHub and LinkedIn. So if yeah. not LinkedIn, GitHub, which is Murchie85, M-U-R-C-H-I-E-85. But that's really about it. Um, you know, LinkedIn doesn't do any social stuff, which I'm trying to make change. But other than that, yeah, I guess link. Oh, and my YouTube video. So if you just search Adam McMurchie, um, like my full name, which it might, I'm hoping you've got in the description. <laughs> <You'd hope so. laughs> this guy, right? <laughs> but yeah, if you, if you search that, you'll find my YouTube channel and I've got a lot of, I, I've got interesting stuff. I, I built a Tetris um, using assembler and things like that. So you'll find some funny, funny bits and bobs. Fantastic. That sounds really good. And thank you again for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you as well to the listeners um, for another uh, for checking out another episode of The Code of Career. Um, in the meanwhile, uh, as I stumble over my words, um, if you enjoyed this episode, um, please do check out uh, both. Feel free to uh, get in touch with Adam and how he mentioned. And then as well, please do join our Discord. Um, we're building a really strong community on there. And as you heard from Jordan asking earlier in the show, we're really increasing our audience participation as well. Um, so do join us on there. The link to that is in the description. But until then, I hope you have a great week and happy coding. Happy coding.